presenting Part 5 of the full-cast audiobook presentation of Dominion, read by the author. 17. When I wake, gasping for breath, I realize I must have died out there, because I'm now lying on the floor of a small spaceship being given CPR by Elvis Presley. The idea is so crazy, I think I might actually be dead. Then I scream. The pain that envelops me is unlike anything I've experienced yet. My body's covered in burns from the blast, my clothes left in tatters and every bone in my body feels broken. It hurts so much I can't think. Here, Elvis says. Drink this. He places a glass vial to my lips, pouring a liquid into my mouth. It tastes like wine. I choke and cough as I swallow, my throat in ruins, but manage to keep it down. A sudden warmth radiates through my body, spreading from my core. I breathe a sigh of relief. Tears flow from my eyes as the aches and pains fade into memory, my body miraculously healing itself as though I'd never been harmed. The healing complete, I sit up and say, thank you very much. That's my line, Elvis says. Jesus blood? I ask, nodding at the vial, recognizing its healing effects from when I drank some at Resistance HQ. Mighty powerful stuff, he says, rising and reaching out a hand to help me up. How did you know I'd be out there? I ask. I didn't. Well, not exactly. Elvis pats the command deck of the ship. She's small, but packs a lot of bells and whistles. I was about to blow a hole into the station and work my way in until something from the inside did the job for me. He takes a look at all the frozen masqueraders floating in space. What the hell was going on in there? A cannibal game show, I say, shuddering at the memory hardly able to believe I escaped with my life. I'm starting to wonder if my constant torture and rescue are by design. He reaches for something inside a drawer and hands me a fresh blue jumpsuit and I can't believe it. A pair of blue suede shoes. Really? I say, holding up the footwear. Can't beat them. He replies with a wink. I shrug, but grateful to change into my new clothes. I can't help thinking how surreal this whole situation is. Elvis, the king of rock and roll, looking fit and fresh as a daisy, dressed in a spacesuit resembling his classic stage outfit, and showing up in the nick of time to save my life. It doesn't make sense. I gotta tell you, I say, I don't get any of this. How are you here right now? I've watched movies and documentaries about you. You're a cultural icon, man. People base their whole lives impersonating you. You're supposed to have died in the 70s of a drug overdose while on the toilet, uh... God damn, he says. That's what they're saying about me, that I died on a fucking toilet. To be fair, there are plenty of conspiracy theories floating around too. Like what? 
he says, trying to downplay his curiosity. I mean, I can't really think of many off the top of my head, but some people think you never died at all and went into hiding. There's multiple reported sightings of you. There's another about you being involved with the mafia and faking your own death. And now that I think of it, I also read claims you were abducted by aliens. Bingo, Elvis says, smiling and shooting me a finger gun. Picked up by the good lord himself. Was about to begin his second world tour, but lighted on me instead. Found me crying in the chapel, took mercy on me. Gave me a second chance at life among the stars. Said he was a fan and that the second coming could wait a bit longer. I was just glad to get out of there. Why? I ask. You were a legend. Had a life others could only dream about. People seem to forget that I'm still just a person. I was a kid who came from nothing, got my first cheap guitar when my ma couldn't afford me a bike. I was scared every time I had to get up on stage, and believe it or not, I also put my pants on one leg at a time like everyone else. He shrugs. I got sick of being kept on a pedestal. I became this machine meant to entertain. I wanted to take hold of my own destiny again, and I owe it all to Jesus. He holds up a vial of blood. You know he's just an alien though, right? Yeah, that was a doozy to swallow, he says, seating himself in the pilot's chair, motioning for me to take the seat next to him. Folks back home would have lost their minds to learn that one. Outer space is batshit crazy. He presses a series of buttons, pulls a couple of levers, and guides us through the masquerade field, deftly maneuvering past the frozen corpses. Their cracked porcelain faces still give me the heebie-jeebies. I still don't understand why you're here, I say. The resistance has been destroyed. Why have I been rescued? You have a parasite to thank for that, Elvis says. She was ready to paint the city red. You have some strange friends in your corner. Tick, the little bastard actually came through for me. It feels good to have someone watching my back, even if it is a psychotic symbiotic parasite inhabiting a leech. Is she still with Jesus? I ask. He nods. It's mayhem. The Dominion has broken into all-out rebellion. The truth about the quarantine zone was leaked to the media, and it's said NVIDIA and Luxuria have been arrested. It wasn't long before the people revolted. Jesus and the gang are holed up inside an abandoned factory. I get the sense Mendax is behind the media leak. He and Clinch knew about Gula's operation, so it would be the perfect catalyst to ignite an uproar. Sounds like the unions made their move against the firm. As another bigger ship is being tractor beamed through a wide gate, Elvis skips the line and rockets inside the hangar. At this speed, I'm certain we're gonna crash our landing, but just as I brace for impact, he slams the ship's thrusters into reverse and lands us into a skidding slide as if he's done this a thousand times before. We bowl over a squad of firm droids along the way as a bonus. He sticks the parking like a pro. Got to get in quick before the tractor beam latches on, he says, rising from his seat. Takes too long. He opens the ship's door, and three firm droids are waiting outside with guns drawn. Exit the vehicle with your hands up, one says, rifle barrel pointed at my head. We walk slowly down the ramp with our hands raised high. Stay cool, kid, Elvis whispers. Easy for him to say. He wasn't the one having his body repeatedly violated over the last few days. The thought of going back to pain and suffering so soon does not sit well with me. All three firm droids move toward us just as our feet step off the ramp, 
But two steps in, Elvis suddenly thrusts his hips out in three quick motions, firing lasers from his belt. They fall over each other like swooning fans, victims of his classic stage move. That was awesome, I say. Works every time, Elvis says, strutting his shit. Another firm droid jumps out from behind another dock ship for a surprise attack while Elvis's back is turned. I'm just close enough to instinctively kick out to the side. My turbo leg makes direct contact with the droid and sends it careening away, crumpling into a broken heap. Have mercy, Elvis says, eyeing me up like I've suddenly got more to offer. Isn't that one from John Stamos? I ask. John who? Uncle Jesse from Full House. He loved you. Actually, never mind. It's cool. Let's just keep watching each other's backs and stay alive, yeah? Then how about a little less conversation? He hip thrusts and downs another firm droid. And see what kind of trouble we can get into. We make our way through the hangar, avoiding firm droids where we can and neutralizing any who cross us. It's refreshing being on the side that's doing the ass-kicking for a change. Elvis moves like a smooth criminal, like the whole world's a stage. I can't tell if he's just a little crazy or brimming with confidence, but it works and it's all that matters. Hail to the king, baby. We enter a portal bridging the docking bay to the main floor and come out on top of a familiar spiral pyramid. I can see Superbia's amphitheater in the distance. Good, we've come out of the same place as before. Except there's one clear difference. The artificial sky up on the ceiling has been replaced by giant red words flashing across a black abyss. Fight for the Union! The Dominion is an all-out war. The blinking red lights bathing the city give off a chilling effect. Fires rage along different sections. Random explosions spray flame into the air. We're too high up to see things clearly but it looks like the streets are flooded with protesters. It's full-blown chaos down there. Get on, Elvis says. He sits on top of a hover bike I've seen firm droids riding and make note of the direction he's pointed at. Straight down the pyramid slope. No way, I say, shaking my head. It's now or never. He nods sideways at a portal where a dozen firm droids are charging in. <sighs> God damn it. Elvis speeds down the pyramid slope the moment I hop on behind him. I hold on around his waist for dear life. Six more hover bites take flight in pursuit of us, quickly making ground. Elvis unstraps a pistol from his leg and hands it to me. How's your shot? I accept the gun and shoot a firm droid who pulls up beside us off its hover bike in response. It's alright, I say. Internally, I'm losing my mind over how fucking cool that just looked. In reality, I am a terrible shot. I wonder if the Jesus blood also enhances physical abilities for a short time. Either way, I am going to ride this wave to the bottom. Elvis swerves his way down the spiral slope, doing his best to avoid incoming fire and ramping over stores and shops. With an arm wrapped tightly around his waist, I start blasting at will. One of their shots nearly finds its target as it grazes the side of my face, burning me. I curse and return fire, blowing the hover bite out from under the one who shot me. When we reach the bottom, I'm both amazed and thrilled to be alive, but there are still four firm droids to deal with. We race down busy streets littered with debris. Elvis has some serious skill. He swerves in and out of people's way, avoiding burning dumpsters and damaged vehicles left in the road. 
Protesters who notice the firm's goons after us throw trash at them in an attempt to block their path. A big tentacle alien hurls two cars over our heads that crash into the oncoming droids behind us, putting two more out of order. Elvis offers a two-finger salute as we pass by. Two blocks up, we drift around a corner and our momentum comes to a sudden stop. Her path is blocked by a police barricade occupying a four-way stop. Several guns take aim at us, and I fear even Elvis's signature hip thrust can't save us now. The ground begins to tremble, and a challenging roar fills the air. Every firm droid inside the barricade redirects their aim at the oncoming threat and fires at will. A mammoth-sized ogre comes barreling through the barricade, unfazed by the assault, and crushes them beneath his feet. Arms raised high, he roars victoriously until his head explodes like a melon when blasted by a cannon. Holy fuck, I say, watching the headless body crumple. Elvis slams the throttle, wasting no time getting us out of here. Cannon blasts rock the street behind us as we narrowly escape being hit. Deadly debris sprays the air, fatally striking several people and injuring even more. We lucked out on that one. We're nearly there, Elvis says. But when I look back, there's an issue. We still have two firm droids tailing us. I guess they managed to get by the protesters. We got a problem, I say, hitching a thumb behind us. Elvis risks a quick glance and says, That's alright. Then accelerates towards a wooded area. We plow through a plastic bush straight into an artificial park. The ceiling's blinking red letters cast long sinister shadows against the trees, like monstrous limbs reaching out to grab us. I'm glad Elvis is in control, because I have no idea how he's able to make sense of which way to go. Each direction is a maze of crimson light and darkness. Maybe he's hoping to use it against the droids by tripping them up into a head-on collision with a tree. Unfortunately for us, the firm state-of-the-art androids aren't that easily outmaneuvered. I look back and see them swerving left to right, avoiding each obstacle like they're driving through daylight. Which obviously makes sense, seeing as they're robots. They're probably equipped with night vision. Derp. We successfully cross the park in one piece, bursting through another plastic bush to reach the road on the other side. We slide to a sudden stop, in front of a burning factory. Shit, Elvis says, scanning the flames. I get a sick feeling when I ask, is this it? The building and those immediately adjacent to it are bathed in flames. I can feel the heat from halfway across the street. Whatever happened here, it was deliberate. The firm droids finally breach the bush and come to a stop behind us. Elvis is about to kick us into gear before another squad of firm droids block our escape. We're quickly surrounded, caught in a circle of guns being pointed at us. Got any more moves you've been holding out on us? I ask. Cause uh, this would be a good time to use them. Elvis smiles. Like a gunslinger, the king of rock and roll steps off his bike and whips out two pistols from his hips and starts blasting away like a space cowboy. He steps around the circle doing his famous rubber leg stage dance, dodging blaster fire like a kung fu master bending in the wind. It's the most incredible display of showmanship I've ever witnessed. He makes Superbia look like amateur hour. Miraculously, almost unbelievably, he finishes his lap around the circle, leaving behind a heap of busted firm droids in his wake. 
He holsters his guns and helps me off the ground while I'd taken cover during the showdown. No wonder the Catholic Church branded you a danger to society, I say. Talk about killer moves. Find your verse. He begins, but is cut off when shot in the back of his left shoulder. It goes clean through. He falls to one knee, his right hand reaching over and clutching the wound. His face screws up in pain. I turn to face a lone fern droid who survived the skirmish and feigned death. Sneaky bastard. Its lower half is disabled, but everything above still functions. He aims for my head and fires again, but misses as I drop and roll out of the way, grabbing Elvis as I go down. I manage to drag him into cover behind the hover bike, shielding us from the continued shots being fired at us. I reach over for one of Elvis's pistols, intending to return fire. But, just then, something roars and booms like thunder from atop one of the burning buildings. It's huge! Hunched over on four powerful legs like a grizzly bear on steroids. It leaps into the air, unleashing another earth-trembling roar. But as it falls, its body morphs into a purple hammer that descends and crushes the surviving firm droid beneath its weight. It returns to its original shape and continues to stomp on the remains like a kid throwing a temper tantrum. Tick! I shout, wide-eyed. She quits her stomping and stands on two feet to face me. A pair of crinkled eyes and a wide smile full of sharp teeth form in the space between her arms, looking happy to see me. I'm glad the shark tooth is still sticking from her forehead. Holy shit, look at the size of you, I say. I can hardly believe she used to live in my ass. I'm so strong, she says, flexing her arms. She sounds slightly different, deeper in tone. What happened? Elvis said we were supposed to meet you here. Mentioning his name reminds me he's still hurt, but when I turn to check on him, he rises, wiping his lips with a sleeve and tossing a small vial to the ground. The wound in his shoulder has been completely healed, juiced up on Jesus' blood. The effects are amazing every time. He nods like it's no trouble, dusting himself off. A group of froglodytes tried to steal us in and burn us alive, Tick says, pointing a thick arm towards the burning buildings. We escaped and regrouped somewhere else. I came back to wait for you. I would have been here sooner, but there's a lot of tasty trees lying around. She digs out a couple of fingers lodged in between her teeth. She smiles and shrugs. At least he showed up when it counted. I say, somehow becoming desensitized to her savagery. Now I think it's best we make ourselves scarce, Elvis says. The happy reunion can wait till we're long gone and out of sight. In response, Tick falls to four legs and her body expands into a goth version of Totoro's cat bus. I am both disturbed and thrilled by the idea. Hop in, she says. Eighteen. The rendezvous takes place inside a shipping container beneath the corpse of a gargantuan goose killed by a giant arrow shot through its neck. We enter to the sound of someone sobbing inside. They killed her! Lemon cries, shoulders heaving. Her face is buried in her paws. <laughs> the fucking guts killed her! I recognize the small orange cat from when the resistance rescued me from the tower. It was her goose we jumped on top of in our moment of escape. The very goose we're gathered beneath right now. Guilt weighs heavily on me. 
Jesus gently pats a comforting hand down her back. There's no greater pain than losing someone you love. Everyone looks at us as we walk in. The reception is apathetic and uninterested. They seem somewhat happy about Elvis, but besides that, couldn't appear more unenthusiastic about seeing me. If I'm honest, I'm not sure what sort of welcome I was expecting, but I feel more like a nuisance than a result of a rescue mission. Lemon, in particular, looks daggers at me, probably blaming me for the death of her goose. A glance around the room reveals some familiar faces, such as Jesus, Tom, Lemon, and surprisingly Doodle from the Coliseum. But most shocking of all, his Bromdeer. The imposing one-armed Cyclops stands with his back leaned up against the wall, looking grim. His single laser eye glows slightly when he sees me. A long scar lines his throat where Mendax cut him. He comes my way. I gulp, not sure where this is going. The quarantine zone, he says. You were there? Elvis takes his cue and leaves, taking up a place next to Tom. Both men embrace like old friends. It was, I say, dreading where the conversation is leading. My family, did you see them? Unable to give it to him straight, I lower my head, not wanting to meet his gaze. Bromdeer receives the message, understanding my unspoken words, and clenches his fist. The lines around his mouth harden, and his eye flares red. Then he nods, and returns to his brooding a little more crestfallen than before. How is he here? I asked Tick, subconsciously reaching for my throat. I watched him die back at Dr. Fuckface. Lucky for him, we arrived just in time for Jesus to perform some miracle magic, she says. Um, unlucky for you. We had no idea where you'd gone until it was too late. But I didn't give up on you. No one else wanted to help, but I said I'd kill every last one of them. The hips guy then volunteered to do something. Damn, even Jesus? She nods. Well, thanks. At least I have you on my team, I say, not feeling so great about almost being abandoned. But I get it. Why waste time and energy on a nobody? especially a second time. She embraces me in a giant bear hug, squishing me senseless. I hear a voice behind me say, Aren't you the guy who ruined Superbia's peanut butter orgy? Tick releases me, and I see that it's Doodle, looking down and out. <sighs> a memory I'll unfortunately have to live with for the rest of my days, I say. How'd you get to know this crew? I hate to feel this way, but after all I've seen... I'm somewhat skeptical of her. Could she be another Froglodyte spy? It seems odd that she would be here. Poppy was my friend, she says mournfully. I found her body stuffed in her office closet after the tournament ended. She'd been killed. I've kind of been walking around in a daze ever since, trying to make sense of it. I was passing by an abandoned factory when it suddenly burst into flames. I could hear that people were stuck inside, so I helped them escape. Someone had locked the doors from the outside. I followed them here after that. Seems awfully convenient she would be there in their exact moment of need. But I say, I'm sorry about Poppy. She nods sadly, then shuffles away, 
her sad puppy dog eyes nearly undoing me. Could a spy play the part so well? Her grief feels real. I'll have to be cautious around her until I know for sure. I look around the room at all the despondent faces. Whatever the resistance was before, it's no longer that now. It makes me wonder where it all goes from here. With the firm and union locked deep in battle, only one can come out on top, and they're going to leave plenty of collateral damage behind. A whole lot of people are going to get hurt, have their lives ruined. And although it's ultimately not my problem, my main priority still being to find my way back home, it feels wrong not to fight back against those responsible for this pain. I'm just as much a victim of it as anyone else, and I want payback, goddammit. I must have gotten lost in thought, because Elvis is suddenly by my side, saying, Tell him about the quarantine zone. Everyone's focused on me, waiting to hear what I have to say. So I tell them, all about the last few hours, even if they already heard tell of it from the media leak. I tell them how I was sent to the quarantine zone to die in a cannibal game show after Mendax and Klinge killed Bromdeer. How the firm lied about everything. Once I get them up to speed, a revolted lemon says, Fuck's sake, how depraved are these assholes? What's next, a pedophile island? Now that I can see her face, I notice the swollen eye Bromdeer left her with the last time we saw her. Speaking of, the Cyclops looks visibly shaken by the news. Word of his family's gruesome fate is hitting him hard. And to think, he used to work for the firm. Yet, they still ate his family. That's cold. At least that takes care of Gulla, Tom says. There's more, I say, now addressing Bromdeer. Did you tell him what we learned from Dr. Fotz? He shakes his head, I looking as though trying to see through a fog. I remember losing my arm, and everything after that feels like a faded dream. A result from lack of oxygen to your brain. Jesus says. We almost lost you. His grim expression conveys a hidden wish that they had. Well... Turns out Dr. Fotz was another Froglodyte in disguise, I say. The same as Triss. I swear, these guys are everywhere, pulling strings we don't even know are there to be pulled. But what I know is they intend on overthrowing the firm. They're manipulating the public to help fight on their side. They manufactured a lie about a mostly harmless virus because they knew the firm wouldn't be able to resist acting for the sake of the economy. Having spies around every corner, the Union knew all about Gula's sadistic buffet and likely orchestrated this whole damn thing from the beginning. They're championing people's rights while being directly involved in their suffering, Tom says. We can't let them get away with this, Bromdeer growls, angrily kicking his foot through a crate. It's packed with grenade-like explosives. Yikes. Careful with that, Lemon says. I still gotta sell off this cargo. He kicks and breaks another. Lemon throws her hands up in exasperation, looking to Jesus to do something. Peace, Bromdeer, Jesus says. I don't think there was any hocus-pocus involved in that command, but nevertheless, the Cyclops settles down. You're right, Jesus continues. These atrocities cannot go unpunished. 
We must hold the ones involved accountable for their sins. But what exactly can we do? Tom asks. Confronting the fur means overthrowing the government, and without someone to take their place, we'd only be leaving behind an empty void for other unsavory types to fight over, like the Union. Fuck the Union, Bromdeer says. Why don't you run the place, Jesus? Tick asks. Jesus shakes his head. My place is among the heavens, spreading a message of hope to all in need, not within this house of sin. All eyes turn to Elvis. Don't look at me, he says. I ain't nothing but a hound dog. We can't just depend on a single person to helm the ship, I say. Running a government requires more people and resources than what we got going on here. Whoever seizes control of the Dominion will have to deal with others who are also hungry for power. We can't just let the Union win, Bromdeer says. I'd rather see the Dominion in pieces before living under their rule. But going scorched earth will victimize billions of innocents, Tom says. This is their home. We would be as cruel as the firm of the Union if we take that away from them. Bromdeer growls in frustration, holding himself back from kicking a hole in another crate. Mm, Belvedere would know exactly what to do. I think back on the eye stalks clinched through at me back in the lab. The poor guy got too close, and the Union killed him for it. Nearly exterminated the whole damn resistance. I barely knew them, but anyone opposing the firm's cruel way of life deserved better than that. I hate to be that person, Doodle says, adding her voice to the debate. But do you think we have a right to overthrow the firm's rule? Don't get me wrong, they totally suck. It's just that the Dominion wasn't unclaimed or previously inhabited land. They built it in outer space using their own resources. And who the fuck asked you, you curly-haired mutt? Lemon hisses. She lights a cigarette and takes a long drag. Doodle bars her teeth at the cat. All I'm saying is instead of getting involved in the fighting, it makes more sense just to leave. We don't owe anyone anything. They chose to come live here. I have to admit, the part of me that just wants to go home is not opposed to the idea. But it also makes me more suspicious of her. Sounds like an attempt to keep us out of the Union's hair. No, they must die. I'll kill them for what they did to my family. Bromdeer says. Tick jumps and happily shouts, Killing spree! Before the room breaks out into a yelling match with each person's voice trying to overpower the others. I act on my gut feeling and use this moment to make my move. While her back's turned to me, I come up behind Doodle and surprise Turbo Kick her in the spine, sending her crashing through a stack of crates. What the fuck? Lemon shouts, claws out and hair raised. Sad and painful whimpers come from the wooden wreckage as Doodle lays crumpled with her back broken and arched backwards. She cries exactly like a hurt puppy would. It's heartbreaking to hear. Jesus, Elvis, and Tom rush to her side. With his one arm, Bromdeer draws a sword from his back and keeps it pointed at me like I'm a sudden and unexpected threat. I put my hands up. Even Tick looks surprised by my actions. I stand in utter shock. This is not how I thought it would play out. She's not a froglodyte spy? I ask, confused. Does she look like a damn frog to you? Elvis says, patting her head. 
Jesus unstoppers a vial and pours the contents into her mouth. The pain will end soon. Within seconds, Doodle's spine knits back into place with a loud crack, and she breathes a deep sigh of relief. After Tom helps her up, she looks at me with a fearful expression and asks, Why did you do that? I am so sorry, I say, eyes wide with concern. I thought you were another Frogladite spy. Everything about your story seemed too suspiciously convenient. I never would have done that had I known you were the genuine article. Everyone looks about ready to kick my ass until Jesus jumps in and says, He speaks the truth. Oh, come on. Lemon says, ears peeled back. You pulling that live and lie detector mumbo jumbo again? Why do we keep putting up with this guy? What's so important about him? Gooseberry would still be alive if it weren't for this asshole. She sniffs. My sweet, beautiful Gooseberry. We mustn't fall into infighting if we want to make a difference here. Jesus says. We'll accomplish nothing if we don't stand united. Jesus is right, Tom says. This is bigger than any one of us can deal with. We might not have the resources to bring about instant change, but if we work together, this can be the start of something better. Reluctantly, Brondir sheathes his sword. Phew! Seems like I dodged a bullet there. I royally screwed the pooch this time. Perhaps I'll not try that again. Doodle's sad puppy eyes are tearing me up inside. I doubt she'll ever let me close to her anymore. So I take a step back and keep my head down, not wanting to risk riling them up again. So what do we do? Lemon asks, finishing her cigarette. She flicks the butt into a cup of dirty water. I think we can all agree the Union cannot be allowed to succeed. Tom says. Whatever the firm is, if the Union is willing to sacrifice innocent lives to achieve its goals, it means they will only be more of the same. Those of you who wish to leave may do so. But I say we fight. Now that the general population is aware of the firm's evil doing, we can fight that battle another day, even if it means a mass exodus. I feel we won't be afforded that chance if the Union wins. Sounds like a fine plan, Jesus says, smiling and patting Tom's shoulder affectionately. Everyone appears to nod in agreement, including Doodle. Do we know where they are now? Bromdeer asks. Best guess is the elevator, Elvis says. I saw a swarm of people heading that direction while making our way here. What's that? I ask, feeling anxious about speaking up. Kind of speaks for itself, don't you think? Lemon says. Big tube, goes up and down. You need me to use crayons to explain it? Ouch. Normally I would hit back, but considering I nearly killed Doodle with my stupidity, I'm gonna take this one on the chin. It's the main transportation hub between floors. Jesus in his mercy explains. A column of light that travels through the center of the Dominion. The Union is likely intending on storming the firm's private domain, Tom says. They have their own floor? I ask. Aye, the Dominion is big enough to provide each member with a floor of their own, he continues. But they gather to govern and conduct business at the table. Its government services are shit, Brondier says. So they storm Parliament Hill, I say. Then what? Then they get access to everything, Brondier continues. That's where my old squad is stationed. Era's elite guard. The last line of defense. 
Inside the main building are the codes for control over every security droid in the Dominion. If the Union gets their hands on it, it's game over. Who's to say they haven't already infiltrated it? I ask. Doodle, I can't apologize enough. I feel seriously horrible about what I did to you. But these guys are literally everywhere. For all we know, they may have already set things to fall into place to guarantee their victory. Doodle nods, but remains apprehensive. I don't think she'll ever trust me again. If we lose faith before the battle has begun, then we have already lost. Jesus says, The odds may be grim, but light shall prevail. I can't say I share the same opinion. But the strength of his conviction is contagious. He may not be God, but it feels good having him on our side. As everyone makes their final preparations, I seize the opportunity to catch up with Dick. I'm glad to see you haven't gotten into too much trouble since going separate ways, I say. Where'd you go after we split up? Belvedere sent us to learn the hidden identity of the person in this video, she says. But nothing turned out. Do you still think you're in a dream? Nah, it took a long time for the brain fog to clear, but Tom helped me make sense of things once it did. Too bad, though. Would have been nice to see my brother again. What about you? Did you get your brain unscrambled yet? <sighs> the verdict's still out on that one. Sometimes I feel like all of this is just too unbelievable to be true. But then, I don't know. I question it, I guess. Jesus, Tom, Elvis, they shouldn't be here. But their explanations for why they are makes a degree of sense. So... I'm still undecided. Well, let me know if you figure it out. I've never been imaginary before. I shake my head and laugh. All right. Jesus says. Is everyone ready? When nobody says otherwise, he nods. Then let's get biblical. 19. The streets are alive and thick with violent intent. Unionists stand on every corner like medieval town criers ringing the bells of war. The words, FIGHT FOR THE UNION, continues to blink with angry red lights above. Storefronts are being vandalized and looted. Pyres of lit garbage and flaming vehicles line the roads. And even people's homes aren't safe from the angry mob. I understand the rage, but I am unnerved by how easily people will turn on each other in times of chaos. Are they even acting out against the firm at this point, or are they exploiting the moment to wreak havoc? I wish they'd keep people's property out of it. I ride and leap across rooftops mounted on a purple bear. It's insanely cool, but I'm kind of grossed out by the texture of Tick's skin. She is inhabiting a leech after all. And ever since seeing all those porcelain fuck faces, I think about Leech Woman whenever I look at her. It's easier to block it out when she's purple. Less and less firm droids appear on the streets. The firm has called them back to form a perimeter around the elevator. It seems the Union has managed to take most of the floor. With the sheer amount of aliens now united against a sitting government, many of them monumental in size and making for dangerous foes, it's going to take everything the firm has in its arsenal to muster a solid defense. Whatever happens, it's going to be a bloodbath. 
Too many people are going to needlessly lose their lives today. Hopefully, we can mitigate some of it. The elevator lies just ahead. It stands like a beacon. A vertical tube split into eight different sections filled with glowing rainbow light. It appears to flow both up and down at once. A two-way street. The plan is to draw Klinge and Mendax out into the open. We hope if we can bait them into exposing themselves, we can use them to get us close to their so-called superior. Anyone with a title like that sounds like a real wanker. The kind of person who makes others do all their dirty work. If we can take them out of the picture, then this whole operation crumbles before the death toll becomes astronomical. But I still fear we might be too late. The rest of our crew have commandeered abandoned hover bikes and try to keep up with Tick's surprisingly quick pace street level. Her legs bulge with muscle with every leap, at times sending a soaring over two rooftops at once. The others dodge and swerve through the wreckage and people below. The elevator square lies three blocks away from here, echoing with the sound of heavy artillery fire. What are those? Tick asks, pointing up during a jump. I check the skies. Several drones line the horizon and are closing in fast. Fuck! I say, gawking at the size of them and bracing myself for what's coming. Before we have time to warn the others below, a jet-sized drone zooms past and drops a bomb, and the street erupts beneath them. Tick and I are knocked down by the shockwave into the opposite street. Thankfully, she softens my impact by cocooning me inside her. It's gross, but saves my life. Oh, thanks, I say, feeling like I've been slammed by an invisible truck. Before accepting me onto her back again, she hustles over to a corpse in a wedding dress and sets to eating her. First the head, and then she gobbles the rest of the body whole. She grows slightly larger than before. Delicious, she says, burping confetti. I ignore the fact someone's getting stood up at the altar and hop onto her back. We run through an alley and discover a huge crater where the street used to be. Several bodies lie broken along the path, a few of them having survived the explosion, but left crippled and screaming. I scan the area for Jesus and the others, but don't see them anywhere. My stomach lurches as I fear they were obliterated by the blast. Incoming! Tick warns. Another round of drones begin a fresh assault. I stare dumbly at the approaching craft, feeling like a deer caught in the headlights. Thankfully, Tick isn't phased. Before the drone is able to drop another bomb, her legs morph into powerful springs and launch her skyward. Her body morphs into a purple wrecking ball that plows straight through the vessel, sending it soaring straight past me to crash into a building, exploding on impact. I stagger as the ground shakes when Tick lands next to me in bear form, smiling proudly. Jack! I hear a voice calling to me from beneath the pile of rubble. Someone's stuck! The blast buried them in her debris! Tick and I get to digging, eventually uncovering Bromdeer. His leg is jammed between his hover bike and a steel column. Tick lifts the beam, and I help him out. I freeze when I see Doodle's leg sticking out from further inside. Tick, help me get her out of here, I say, hurrying to save her. <sighs> it's no use, Bromdeer says, struggling to remain upright on his injured leg. He points to where the upper half of Doodle lay dead across the road her inside spilling out. She was cut in half by the blast. I puke. When I get a grip on myself, I push that shit down 
and ask, are the others okay? The Cyclops stumbles before he can answer, the condition of his leg clearly more than he can handle. Tick morphs into her purple bear shape and guides Bromdeer to mount her. She bends her body around his waist in a way that he comes out on top of her like the upper half of a centaur, enabling him to focus solely on swinging that big ass sword around. When he realizes this, Tick rears up on her hind legs and Bromdeer thrusts his blade to the sky with a savage roar. It's fucking epic. Thank you, he says to Tick. Then to me adds, The others escaped the blast, but just barely. With the state of things out there, they could be fighting any sort of trouble. We should press forward. We'll catch up with them ahead. I climb onto Tick's back, keeping myself low so Bromdeer doesn't accidentally cut my head off. Um... Tick says, two eye stalks stretching toward Doodle's remains. Is it cool if I eat her? Can you not? I say with a shiver. Now give me up! We take off at a furious pace. A third drone rises and begins a new wave of bombings. Tick doesn't seem the least bit concerned. Her powerful legs take us from the streets to the rooftops like she's hopping over a puddle, moving with the grace of a natural-born predator. The drone drops explosive after explosive, turning what once was a bustling neighborhood into a burning metal scar. Bodies fly and buildings collapse in its wake. When in range, Tick bounds into the air towards it. Bromdeer howls a challenge and swings his sword straight through the drone as we pass beneath it. It splits in two, plummeting to the ground in halves. Woo! I shout, thrilled and terrified. We continue down the path until we land on a rooftop two buildings away from the elevator square to survey the area. Firm droids fire assault rifles from the perimeter, trying and failing to hold back the angry tide. Protesters lob explosives and fire back at the androids with equal measure, seeming to hold the upper hand. It's crazy down there, I say. The firm is on the defensive, Bromdeer says. At this rate, they'll soon be overrun. I hope the others made it through all right. The firm ain't holding back. Fucking drones, man. They're bombing the shit out of their own people. Tick's eye stalks roam longingly back down toward the road. Are you sure I can't just have one bite? She says. Just the one that's lying around? I bet nobody will even care. At that moment, an explosion of green flames erupt near the mouth of the square as a massive kaiju is blasted by a series of rockets, exploding into a shower of gore. A chunk of bloody meat the size of my body splatters down in front of us. Tick's eyes beam. I have a feeling this is gonna be disturbing. She crawls over top of it, swallows it whole with a mouth forming along her belly, and happily turns it to mush. When she finishes, her body grows bigger again. See? One bite! She says. God's balls, I can feel it between my feet, Bromdeer says, not hiding his revulsion. If she keeps this up, pretty soon she'll be the size of a tank. The upside is all this extra weight really packs a punch. Are we ready? Bromdeer asks. Whatever happened back there, it's about to get much worse ahead. I take a deep breath. I'm scared out of my fucking mind. But I got this. In a twisted sort of way, as much as it's been a nightmare, 
feel like I found my purpose. Something to fight for that's bigger than myself. I think that was one of my biggest problems. I never felt like anything mattered. Everything is fake. Nothing is real. And no one is telling the truth. I just stopped seeing the point in anything anymore. Being part of this group has changed that. Even if it was accidental. I give Bromdir a nod. And we charge. The Firm and the Union are locked in intense battle inside Elevator Square. Firm droids bearing rifles, rocket launchers, tanks, and all manner of explosions have formed a wide perimeter around the Rainbow Two. They unleash hell on the oncomers, using every method of elimination at their disposal. Reinforced walls have been erected to defend against a counterattack, which seems to be slowing down their assailants, but not stopping them entirely. Inch by inch, the Union gains ground. And at their head is a giant mechanized froglodyte robot with a frogleg swastika painted in red on its back. I, uh, I do a double take at the swastika. What the fuck? This is getting crazier by the minute. Mechafrog emits a glowing red force field whenever it takes damage. A swarm of froglodyte soldiers follow the mech, keeping pressure on the firm with blaster fire. Mechafrog extends its arms and unleashes a barrage of spinning rockets at the barricade. And it's got friggin' laser eyes! That's who we're supposed to beat? I've seen Tick pull off some impossible wins before, but this one might be bigger than she can chew. Regardless, she fearlessly charges forward. Bromdeer howls, swinging his sword at any firm droid outside of the perimeter within his range. I'm grateful I get to hitch a ride with Tick, because I definitely get obliterated running through here on my own. The ground trembles, explosions erupt on all sides, and lasers and bullets zoom past from both ends. Besides the froglodytes leading the charge, the battlefield is a hodgepodge of different alien races of all shapes and sizes. We're halfway to Mechafrog when we're rocked by a missile that narrowly misses us. The world is sent spinning as I somersault through the air. My back lands with a wet splat against something hairy. When I can make sense of where I am, I realize I collided with a dead alien inside a water fountain. A big, bloody hole has been punched through its chest. The water runs dark with the color of its silver blood. I stagger out of the fountain, but my head is pounding like I'm concussed. Could really go for some of that Jesus blood right about now. Disoriented, I call out for the others. I trip over a body. I nearly ignore it, but its clothes are familiar. It's Bromdeer! Or what's left of him. His head has been blown clean off. I scream as despair threatens to envelop me. This isn't how it's supposed to go down. Without a head, I don't even think Jesus can bring him back this time. A big purple blob swallows me whole. It passes me through its body until I'm seated on its back. Jack, what do we do? Tick says, concerned. I, I, I don't know, I say. What are we supposed to do now? Bromdeer might have been an injured one-armed cyclops, but even in his condition he was still a more capable fighter than I am. I'm suddenly overwhelmed by the thought that I made a terrible decision. Look! Tick says, Like a thunderbolt, an airborne shark-headed mech from inside the perimeter crashes onto the battlefield with a powerful shockwave. 
the only one not to get knocked over by the landing is Mechafrog, who for the first time assumes a defensive stance. Sharkface draws back a fist to deliver a haymaker. The blow is deflected by Mechafrog's crimson force field, except this time it cracks. That's gotta be Ira, I say. Who else would have a Sharkface mech? Maybe she'll beat them? Tick says. It sure would solve a lot of problems. But even as we dare to hope, Sharkface's confidence begins to flag. The constant barrage of fire from all sides takes its toll, forcing her back step by step. Mechafrog slams her with a flurry of punches, which are blocked by a shield extending from her arm. With her free hand, she delivers a low blow by blasting its right knee with a hand cannon. The last of Mechafrog's force field saves its knee from being blown off. Should we help her? Tick asks. I hesitate. Unsure. I mean, the plan is to stop the Union, right? We take down the Froglodytes and live to fight the firm another day. It just feels wrong teaming up with them after all they've done. I slide off her back, pick up a discarded rifle, and climb back up. All right, I say, trying to figure out the gun safety. Let's take some heat off her by dealing with the Froglodytes. But be careful. Mendax and Clinge could be among them. She rears up on her back legs and roars, twin tentacles growing from her shoulders bearing sharp edges. I unload a barrage of poorly aimed rifle fire as we charge and bowl into a line of Froglodytes. Tick thrashes and swipes out with her deadly claws and decapitates them with her sharpened tentacles. I kick out with my turbo leg, connecting against a couple of heads with resounding cracks. Probably turn their brains to mush. I even managed to shoot a few of them dead. The others who I don't immediately kill writhe on the ground before being mauled to death by a monstrous leech. Unfortunately, I didn't think quite far enough ahead before deciding to attack, because from the people's perspective, who don't understand our motives and see only that we're opposing their rebellion, we're now one of the bad guys. Dozens of aliens bearing guns unleash a hellstorm of laser fire and bullets directed at Tick's huge bulk. She roars and bucks me off her back, flipping me onto the ground. I land hard on my ass. Hurts like the dickens. But not as bad as what those people are going through. Tick spares no quarter. It obviously makes no difference whether they're friends or foe. Her tentacles slice through anyone daring to attack her. She adheres to a strict don't fuck with me policy under pain of decapitation. She might even be furious over the fact that the people we're fighting for are now betraying us, not understanding their point of view. I get up, trying to call out for her to stop, but receive a kick to the ribs that sends me breathless onto my back. I gasp for breath, and through the haze of pain, I identify a froglodyte sneering down at me. Really went and fucked Gula right and good now, didn't ya? Mendax says. I aim a turbo kick up into his crotch. My kick misses and connects with nothing as he flips back away in time to avoid it. He wags a finger to let me know tricks like that aren't gonna work. I reach for the rifle an arm's length away, only to have Clint step on the back of my hand and grind it beneath her black booted heel. She kicks the rifle away, then kicks me in the stomach. I'm getting flashbacks of the beating they gave me back at the lab. But instead of attacking, Clint and Mendax hold me up by each arm grabbing a fistful of my hair and forcing my gaze ahead. No! I cry, defeated and covered in gunshots. Tick lies bleeding in the middle of a decapitated crowd. 
Her breathing is labored and shallow. They turn me around. Shark faces on the ropes, unable to stop Mechafrog's advance, and makes a tactical retreat. The square is completely overrun by the people now. The firm has no choice except to pull back. It's not long before they abandon the square entirely, leaving behind all their equipment and disappearing into the rainbow elevator. Everyone rushes the elevator in pursuit, following the firm through an orange column labeled The Table. While they run and cheer over this initial victory, Mechafrog turns in place to face me. Klinge and Mendax keep a firm hold around my arms, as though presenting me to this metallic behemoth. There's a hiss of air, and the robot's core opens up to reveal who I can only assume is Mr. Superior. An imposing figure wearing German military-style armor hops down from the open mech. If I had to guess, nearly all of his body has been replaced by cybernetic upgrades, being more machine than man. But that's not the reason for the surprised look on my face. Because when he takes off his helmet to reveal the face inside, it's Adolf Hitler. God damn it! Hail Superior! Klinge and Mendax say in unison, raising their arms in Nazi salute. I swear to Christ, this is getting zanier by the minute! First Jesus, then Elvis, and now Hitler! My mind quickly sifts through all the conspiracy theories I've read about him. Of course, there's one about alien abduction. How is this my life? Hire the proxies! Hitler says, returning the salute. They throw me to my knees in front of him. He scowls at me with disdain. So, this is the pest causing all the trouble. Have such a perfect complexion. I've had a shame. He says. He aims his right arm at me, his fist spinning into a blast cannon. Just as I believe he's about to melt my head, he snaps his arm skyward in a defensive gesture, blocking the strike of a shining sword. Jesus lands down next to me, swinging in a wide arc over my head. Klinge, Mendax, and Hitler leap back out of reach, allowing for Jesus to shield me. A glowing white force field radiates from his sword, and he clenches his teeth against a trioed barrage of blaster fire. He concentrates all his energy on keeping us protected, providing a perfect distraction for Tom and Elvis to come in with a surprise attack from behind. With a throw worthy of the Olympics, Tom impales Klinge with a spear straight through the back of her head. She stares down at the weapon sticking out of her mouth in dumb shock before going limp and collapsing. My love! Hitler shouts, dismayed. He aims a hand cannon at Tom and Elvis. You will pay for that! Hitler unleashes a beam of pure red energy that slices through the ground, narrowly missing them as they jump for cover. But while his attention is split, I seize the opportunity to lunge for my gun and fire at Mendax. I want to make him pay. But where Klinge was taken by surprise, Mendax isn't so easily dispatched. With an acrobatic flip sideways, he unloads a spray of blaster fire at us. Jesus deflects the shots, then jumps forward shouting a battle cry. Hitler turns and intercepts Jesus' blow with a raised metallic arm denting his armor. They push against each other in a power struggle. I worshipped you! Hitler growls. Then you learn nothing from my teachings, Jesus says. They clash again, Jesus gaining a slight edge. You was the perfect son! 
the very basis for my vision of the perfect nation, for the perfect people. I said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So what in my name was the Holocaust all about? Even you must know, sometimes sacrifices must be made. Hitler ends a deadlock by spinning into Jesus' guard and catching him with an elbow to the side of the head. Jesus turns his sideways tumble into a roll that brings him back to his feet in a defensive stance, prepared to fend off a fresh strike. But instead of pressing the attack, Hitler leaps back like an anime villain and retreats into Mechafrog. Mendax climbs onto its shoulder. The mech says, And where the Nazis failed, the proxies will succeed! He aims a now even bigger hand cannon at us, and things are looking like it's going to hurt. Hey, asshole. A sharp voice cuts through the air, somehow managing to make us all stop what we're doing. Together, we turn our heads towards the speaker. It's Elvis. He eyes down the mech with a crazy look and says, You stepped on my blue suede shoes. Like a rock and roll magician, he mysteriously pulls a rocket launcher out of his ass and fires a missile. It blasts Mechafrog's shoulder, sending Mendax flying through the air. Sensing the tides turning, Hitler makes a tactical retreat towards the elevator. He snatches up Mendax along the way, joining the stampede of people marching to the table. Jesus slams the tip of his sword into the ground, deploying a dome-shaped force field around us. Those who witness our fight with the Union attack the dome, but quickly lose interest and join the others when it's obvious they aren't getting through. The sword must be able to maintain a more powerful shield when used this way. I hobble over to Tick. I feel like I've been put through a meat grinder, but at least I'm doing better than she is. I spread my arms over her and rest my head. She's alive. I can feel it. Probably because of our unique bond. Can we help her? I ask. Jesus kneels down at her side, placing a hand on her body. A small purple mouth forms around it, and he winces as it bites into his flesh, drinking his blood. In moments, Tick's body ripples as renewed energy surges through her, sealing her wounds. Jesus has to struggle a bit to get her to stop suckling off him. The wound on his hand heals in seconds. Thanks, she says, sparing few words before immediately starting to eat the nearest corpse. She chews twice, then adds, Doesn't taste as good as you do. Now, let me get this straight, Elvis says. That was Hitler? Like, what the fuck, right? I say, Tom, either you're full of shit and this is a simulation, or a lot of alien abduction stories are true. There are a lot of spacefaring aliens here. Tom waves an arm around him and shrugs. Like that one. He reaches down and removes the spear from Klinge's mouth. You think the Froglodytes could have picked him up? It's possible. Okay, so what now? They're winning. The firm keeps losing ground. There's just too many people involved to be able to stop this now. They'll kill us if we attack Hitler again. We stare in silence at the river of people running past into the rainbow light. It is grim indeed, Jesus says. All out of inspiring phrases, are we? I say. He says nothing, simply grabs his sword and pulls it from the ground. The force field fades. Nobody takes note of us. Everyone who watched our fight is long gone. Jesus gives us all one last look. 
and joins the flow of runners into the elevator. I take a deep breath. Here we go. I step through the rainbow light, instantly appearing on another floor. I expected a floating sensation or the feeling of going through a water slide, but it feels more like stepping through a curtain. And I'm not ready for what I find on the other side. It's a trap! That's unless people get their government services from inside the churning jaws of a gargantuan monster the size of 30 football stadiums. It's like looking into the jaws of a living mountain. It's so monumental in scale. 42 injured Godzillas could fit inside to each apply for disability benefits at once. And unfortunately, I'm next in line. From the portal in the sky, I plummet from the elevator alongside an ever-flowing stream of aliens straight down into the waiting jaws below. Screaming, I spot Ira in her shark-faced mech watching us from above as I fall. Thunderclouds fill the night sky, illuminating it with constant bursts of orange lightning. It casts an evil glow around her. I can imagine her smug face grinning with satisfaction. I try to reach for Jesus and the others while falling, but they're nowhere to be seen. Did they get teleported someplace else? Did the firm sabotage the elevator to send each person to a random place? Could there be more of these things? There are a lot of people, so maybe they need more than one to eat us all. Helplessly, I fall into the cavernous mouth below. I slam against a giant tooth on my way down its throat, knocking the wind from my lungs and sent spinning end over end. I gasp for breath and hit another, this time landing on my stomach and managing to hold on tight. The tooth isn't exactly sharp, but awkward to hang on to. I can't believe I didn't die on impact. I watch as others go, screaming, and probably just as confused as I am. The firm played us like fools, leading us to willingly run to our deaths. And without anyone able to run back and warn the others, people are just gonna keep on coming. After all the effort they put into storming the gates, the firm was able to crush them all with a single diabolical move. Several of the largest protesters, massive kaiju creatures, smash and grind together where they get jammed within the tightest sections of the monster's throat. The beast swallows them down, making room for the sudden abundance of food. I look up, hoping for a way out, but instead, what I find is someone else heading straight at me. The three-eyed, red-skinned alien collides with me, which sends us both toppling off the tooth and into the throat below. We hold on to each other as we fall, screaming. By some miracle, we pass clean through the throat at the precise moment a gap opens up between two chewed up aliens, avoiding being squished. Still hugging each other, the alien and I meet slick, wet flesh and begin a long, slippery slide down an enormous passage. The veins running along the membranes glow with faint orange light. We narrowly avoid being pinned between giant lumps of chewed up flesh and bone by bouncing off the walls. This goes down as one of the grossest, most terrifying things to happen to me. It's like going down a giant slip and slide full of dead bodies. Being killed and eaten by rich cannibals sounds horrible, but being swallowed whole and digested by a giant alien is enough to tear a blood-curdling scream out of my throat! I'm trying to remember how food travels to the stomach. 
Are we gonna drop into a pool of stomach acid? Or sail into it like a water slide? I'm trying to think back on that episode of the Magic School Bus, where Miss Frizzle takes the class on a field trip inside Arnold's body. <laughs> but I can't remember the details! All I know is it's gonna be the worst way of dying I can think of! I begin to hear a familiar sound the further down we go. A beat. Music. I don't believe it at first, but soon enough, I feel the vibrations in the flesh. Rock guitar chugs to the beat of angry drums and heavy bass. Did one of the chewed up kaiju leave Spotify playing on their phone? It's getting so loud it feels like we're gonna drop right on top of a concert. I see the end of the tunnel. It's another drop. The way the alien hugs me tighter tells me he's seen it too. Looks like we're gonna plummet after all. We fall out of the tunnel screaming into the stomach below. The space is cavernous. It's like falling out of the sky into a sickly green ocean. Except, that's not all that's down there. An entire town floats on the stomach acid below. I take it all in with plenty of time before we reach the bottom. Dilapidated, ramshackle buildings that look barely held together cover a misshapen mass in the middle of the lake. There's no rhyme or reason to the architecture. It's like whoever lives there added on wherever and however they could manage it, using any and all materials available. The music keeps chugging away louder now, and as we close in, I can see people standing outside the buildings, watching the steady flow of Monster Chow coming down. A crew of them run to the edge of the town. They take up positions at different locations where harpoon launchers are installed. Almost in unison, harpoons fire across the acid lake trailing a wide net between them that hook into the flesh on the other side. They intend on collecting what's coming down. On our current trajectory, we're gonna barely miss it and fall into the stomach acid. The alien realizes this too, and in a moment of pure douchebaggery, he shoves out hard against me in an attempt to steer himself closer to the net, sending me further away from it! Bastard! I shout. If I don't do something to change the angle of my fall, I'm gonna plunge straight into the acid lake! I grab hold of a giant piece of malformed flesh passing by, then use my turbo leg to shove myself back into the target area. As I do, Fuckface Magoo sees me coming and flails uselessly in the air. I shove my boot so far up his ass, he literally splits in two, adding more gore to the atmosphere. Eesh, maybe should've used my regular leg. Still, could've been worse, like dissolving in a pool of acid. Hashtag sorry, not sorry. Giant chunks of flesh splash into the stomach. The cannonball reaction causes tall jets of acid geysers to burst upwards. The floating, decrepit town rocks back and forth on the waves it causes, with buildings appearing seconds away from collapsing. Some of the tallest parts actually do. Anything that lands onto the slanted net slides down into the waiting arms of the people below. They formed an assembly line, handing off anything of interest to those behind them and throwing the undesirables into the lake. Luckily, I stick the landing on the net and avoid melting into the monster's belly. For now, I'm buried in flesh as I wait to be picked out. My skin and eyes burn from the mixture of alien blood and stomach acid. A large intestine wraps around my face. The texture makes me want to vomit. The smell is unreal! And the pressure against me is starting to build. Thankfully, I'm dragged out of the gore before I choke on it. I gasp for breath, coughing, and look up 
into the eager faces of mutant aliens dressed in heavy metal gear. Every one of them has some kind of makeshift instrument strapped to themselves. Guitars, electric bass, drumsticks, an accordion, the works, which explains the music. I'm inside a grungy town floating on a lake of acid inside the belly of a monster. It doesn't get any more metal than this. Thankfully, the mutants don't immediately throw me into the acid lake. Hey, this one's still kicking! A green mutant with a disfigured face says, I'm roughly yanked away and pushed into an assembly line. I stumble into a mutant with a red mohawk and he shoves me further back as they all laugh. I'm passed down a street that leads to what would pass for a town square, except it's designed and built for a heavy metal rock concert. Mutant musicians chug away on their electric strings to a gathered crowd of headbangers enjoying the show. And inside a violent mosh pit nearest the stage is Elvis. He's being shoved back and forth punched and kicked, he even spit on. He tries to fight back, but there's too many of them. I want to run and help, maybe cripple a few with a turbo kick. But then what? I'll be quickly overwhelmed, and then who knows what'll happen to me then. Probably get thrown into the acid. Ugh, but does it make me a bad person for not wanting to sacrifice myself? If it weren't for him, I would have died out in space. The lead guitarist on stage breaks out into an impressive guitar solo that moves the crowd to stillness. Her fingers slide up and down the frets, moving with practice speed and grace, unleashing the hypnotic power of music on the congregation. She ends with a flourish straight into a resounding power chord. Mutants cheer and punch each other as she grabs a microphone and says, Looks like today's our lucky day, huh boys? Fuck yeah! A mutant cheers. Have you ever seen a day like this in your miserable lives? She continues. A river of food. We'll be eating like gods for weeks. All the meat you can eat. Another round of approving cheers. They chant her name. Belra, Belra, Belra. The mutant holding on to me punches someone next to him and says, <laughs> this rocks! It's usually this random garbage that comes down. We finally get to fucking eat without rationing! Wish we'd live inside a beast that survives off something other than mostly trash. The other says, It doesn't get enough protein. That's the farm for you. Is this where the house-sized dump truck unloaded its garbage into that portal I saw back at the firm's private terminals? Have these people been living off the firm's scraps their entire lives? I can't imagine how hard it must be to survive like this. But they're definitely putting what they salvage to use. This entire town is made from garbage. Not only are we in for a feast, Belgor says, but we got some live entertainment coming your way. Something we haven't seen in an age. She strums a power chord and sings like a member of a 1980s hairband. Metal showdown! The cheering reaches new heights. I'm shoved around more roughly, my captor's excitement for the event overflowing. With how they treated Elvis, I'm gonna take a wild guess and say that we're the entertainment. I don't know what Metal Showdown means, but I've got a bad feeling it involves music and pain. I'm taking up the right side of the stage to stand next to Elvis. He looks beat up. His sunglasses are missing and his left eye is swollen shut. He nods at me grimly. How you holding up, kid? He asks. I'd say about as well as you are, I say. He laughs and winces. Any guess on what they're gonna do with us? I ask. 
something musical, I reckon. And it's a good thing we got the king of rock and roll here with us. Elvis laughs darkly and shakes his head. He shows me his left hand. It's bruised and broken. Fuck, I say, swallowing hard. Yep, that about sums it. He says, I'm as useful as tits on a bowl. There's a commotion as they drag another person up the left side of the stage. The captain struggles against his aggressors, cursing at them in German. Get your filthy hands off of me! The mutants part to reveal Hitler. He looks worn, his green uniform caked in gore, and one of his legs is banged up. Small sparks of electricity crackle up and down its length. Looks like the resistance might get their wish after all. Elvis says. Sucks we won't get to celebrate it, I say. Wonder what happened to his metal frog. Could have gotten crunched up on the way down. Maybe he had to jump shit to escape being crushed inside. I don't see Mendax with him either. Hope the bastard's being digested as we speak. All right, you maggot-faced knuckleheads! Belgra announces. Are you ready to rock? The mutants raise their fists and cheer. That's what I want to hear. With all this extra food, why don't we indulge in a bit of mayhem, shall we? In the left corner, we got a squishy pink duo who look fit to sing nursery rhymes. In the right corner, we got a grumpy cunt, but at least he looks the part. She strums a power chord, then points at each of us. Contestants, melt our minds or be melted in turn. The rocker with the least amount of crowd reaction will be catapulted into the lake where they'll go on to nourish the great beast. The mutants are loving it, roaring in approval. Each of us are brought electric guitars that have seen better days. I'm skeptical it's even capable of producing a sound, let alone anything of quality. Think Hitler's got skill? I ask. I don't remember reading about any musical talent in the history books, only that he was a rejected artist. Let's hope he didn't pick up a thing or two since the war, Elvis says. Looks like this one's on you, kid. I'll do what I can to back you up, but you gotta do the heavy lifting. Sure, I say, without confidence. I got this. You can play, right? I did back in high school. Some friends and I formed a band for a couple of years. Nothing big, just played a few garage parties. Hopefully it's enough. A guitar riff rips through the air. First up, Grumpy Cunt. Belgra announces. Two big mutants grab Hitler by the collar and push him center stage. He doesn't waver against the expecting eyes of the crowd. He simply lifts his guitar like he's been doing this his whole life and strums his first power chord. The song is fast, violent, and hectic. Hitler shreds to a song I've never heard before, eliciting an encouraging cheer from the crowd and inspiring another mosh pit. He chugs, strums, and even fingerpicks a solo. The music conjures imagery of pain, of crushing an enemy and conquering the weak. It's a message to me. It says, I'm fucked. Hitler finishes the song to overwhelming approval. He takes one look at me, then smashes his guitar and throws it to the mutants below before limping away. The one who catches it gets punched in the head as those around him fight for possession. Woo! Sweet tune! Belgra sings. But will it be enough to save him from the acid? She points at me. The people want to know. Let's rock! I gulp. I'm no stranger to stage fright, but this is taking it to another level. 
I still don't know what song I'm gonna play. I can't think of any. My anxiety's got me drawing a blank. A couple of mutants push me and Elvis forward to center stage. I look at him for encouragement, but the look on his face says it all. He doesn't expect we're getting out of this alive. I close my eyes, take a deep breath, and let my fingers take over from here. I pick the intro to a song a friend and I made up. As soon as I start playing it, the song takes control. I'm transported back to my best friend's garage, jamming together until our hands and fingers ached, but reveling in the joy of it. I finish the intro and start chugging. The crowd is feeling it. Heads start banging and the mosh pit begins taking shape again. The positive reaction feeds my ego and I lay into it a bit harder. The crowd reacts in kind, feeding into the energy. Elvis adds personal flourishes when necessary. They're not part of the original song, but are a nice addition. And when a mutant lights up the drums, instinctively knowing how to play along, it ramps me up even harder. So I jump on the mic and give a performance worthy of a high school variety show. I complete the song to roaring approval, earning twice the reaction Hitler received. Before walking back to my side of the stage, I stare down the Nazi fuck and flip him the middle finger. He charges at me, but is quickly tackled to the ground by a band of mutants. Holy fuck! Belga sings, shredding a rift on her guitar. Who else was blindsided by that rockin' performance? My money was on grumpy cunt. But squishy bitch comes out of nowhere and smashes it out the park. Now let's get another consistence before we make the final decision. Give it up for grumpy cunt. If I had to quantify it, I'd say the crowd cheers a total of 7 out of 10. Now give it up for squishy bitch. The cheer in response is nearly ear shattering. About as perfect a score as you can get. You know what that means. Belgra says, Grumpy cunt, you failed to melt our minds. Now it's time for us to melt yours. She strums another power chord. Into the acid, bitch! You can't do this to me! Hitler growls, struggling to fight off the hands restraining him. I am the fucking Fuhrer! Commander of the Frogsy Army! You will not- The mutant drummer's massive fist collides into his face and cuts off whatever else he was about to say. They unceremoniously drag him off the stage and march him down the street. Belgra continues chugging away on her guitar and says, And for the lucky winners... I'm punched in the back of my head and brought to my knees. Oh, surprise twist. Another mouth to feed just ain't something we're putting up with. So it's into the acid, bitch. Oh! Rough hands drag me to my feet and pull me away. They do the same to Elvis. Sons of bitches! I should have known they'd fuck us over. It's been a major theme since having been abducted. Mutants line both sides of the street, laughing and jeering at us. We're shoved or kicked if we stray too far out from the middle. I contemplate unleashing my turbo leg. But again, there's too many to fight on my own. I'll take out a couple, but I'll be overwhelmed in seconds. I guess it all comes down to whether I want to be dissolved in a lake of acid or be bludgeoned to death by shitty guitars. Am I just making excuses? Am I unwilling to act because it's illogical? Or is it because I'm afraid? A coward, as always.
The end of the street leads up a narrow stairway that passes through a pair of buildings. On the other side is a balcony overlooking the acid lake. A long pathway extends down the end of it. I can only assume this is where we walk the plank. We're shoved ahead to stand by the edge next to Hitler, who hasn't yet given up. He tries to fight, but his damaged leg is slowing him down. Jesus would have kicked his ass had he been in this condition. My Frogsies will destroy you all! Hitler shouts, swinging big haymakers that connect with nothing but empty space. I've heard enough, and I snap. He might have escaped the Second World War, but he ain't getting out of what's coming next. I turn into him with a surprise knee to the groin, turbo style, and drop him to the ground where he assumes the fetal position. A soft, high-pitched whine escapes his lips. I guess his nuts are still hanging around. I put my foot against his shoulder and think of all the people who got hurt or died because of his selfish actions. A people's movement is meant to unite for the greater good of the common person, not be used as a method for securing power for yourself. It has no place for narcissists like him. Why do assholes like you always have to come and ruin a good thing, I say. With a push of my foot, I send him rolling off the edge into the waiting acid below. He screams the whole way down, lands with a splash, and disappears into the stomach's depths. His armor and metal frame sink him like a rock, making any chance of swimming back up impossible. Good riddance. The mutants exult in the execution. Several of them strum their guitars in excitement, picking mini solos for emphasis. But their jubilation quickly fades, and it's time for someone else to take the plunge. I don't know what to do. Helvis and I step back, but we'll soon fall over the edge. I guess dying in a lake of acid next to Elvis Presley isn't so bad. If I'm being honest with myself, I'm fucking tired. I just want this to be over with already. The limit of how much abuse I can pour into a cup before it overflows has come and gone a long time ago. It's been a hell of a run, Elvis says. Even he looks resigned to our fate. What a song this would have been. I step back, sensing the edge on our heels. I get ready to let myself fall, hoping that flesh melting in acid isn't as painful as it sounds. Suddenly, the balcony begins to sway from side to side. A mutant shouts, She's emptying out! Man the hooks! Another yells. I realize what must be happening. The acid lake is draining. It's time for the stomach contents to enter the intestinal tracts and be further digested. It's definitely got the mutants' attention. They hurry away, forgetting all about me and Elvis. Whatever's going on is top priority. At least it'll give us a bit of breathing room while we think of what to do next. Massive hooks trailing enormous chains shoot out from all corners of the rotted town, sinking into the stomach lining. We become suspended in the air as the acid continues to drain. A hole ten times the size of the town opens up below us, a gaping maw leading down to the ship factory. Whoa, I say, kind of fascinated. Heads up, Elvis says. It ain't over yet. The echo of approaching footsteps increase in volume, and I realize they've come to finish the job. But instead of being thrown into acid, it's now become a drop into the abyss. We're likely drown in acid anyway before being dissolved into kaiju nutrients. 
As the first mutant reaches the balcony, we're shook by an even more violent tremor than the last time. I try to keep balance, but soon the entire town feels like it's tipping sideways. I stumble and fall into Elvis and we grab hold of the railings. We keep tipping and tipping until we're hanging straight sideways like the Titanic before it sank. The tipping doesn't stop until we've been completely flipped over like a plate. With the gaping hole now positioned above us, acid rains down from where it drained. We hang upside down from the balcony, struggling to keep hold, our skin burning from the acid downpour, and watch as mutants and poorly structured buildings fall away. Because of his injured hand, Elvis's grip loosens and slips. He wraps his arms around my waist, saving himself from falling. I grip the balcony railing tighter, my knuckles turning white, and struggle to hold up our combined weight. My hand sizzles. I slip a quarter inch. Fuck! I say through gritted teeth. Elvis gives me a meaningful look. It was nice knowing you, Jack. And let's go. No! I cry, tears filling my eyes as I watch him fall to his death. His body breaks against the flesh, far, far below. My hands burn and slip from the acid rain coating the railing. Any second now, I'll be joining him and all the mutants who didn't manage to stay put. It's only a matter of time. The balcony railing breaks. For just a moment, time slows down. I scream, my stomach twisting as I fall, and watch the upside-down town shrink away. And then the sky rips open. Rays of light pierce through the gloom as a long cut slices through the stomach wall, revealing the world outside. A voice, loud and deep enough to shake me to the bone and collapse the rest of the town, calls out my name. A giant purple tentacle reaches through the gap in the stomach and plucks me from the air, saving me. It cups me gently, forming a protective barrier, and removes me from the belly of the beast. I squint, the sudden flood of daylight hurting my already acid-washed eyes. But goddamn, it feels good to breathe in that fresh air. It still smells like shit, but anything is better than the stench inside that garbage dump. I take a deep breath, appreciating this simple thing. The tentacle lifts me into the air and morphs around me to form a gondola. My eyes adjust to the light, and I can finally see what's going on. On one side... The mountain-sized kaiju who made a snack out of me lies dead on its back, six volcano-sized feet turned up in the air. A mile-long wound spilling with blood stretches across the soft brown stomach. On the other side of it is Tick's gargantuan smiling face. Holy fuck. How did she get so big? Snap! She says, her voice vibrating through every fiber of my body. I found you. I cover my ears, and she must realize the effect her speech has on me. Her impossibly large face sinks into her blob of a head, then reappears in a much smaller size in the basket with me. Sorry. She says. I'm so big I can't even kill things with my voice now. So cool, right? I gawk at her immensity. She's so huge it literally boggles the mind. And that's only the parts of her I can see. How did you... I begin saying. Guess I'm freaking swole. Do you even lift, bro? 
I think back on all the times she ever grew in size, locating the common thread. It was after she'd eaten something. Or someone. And the last time I seen her was when... Oh my god! I exclaim. Did you eat all those people from the battle? They were dead! And there were lots of them. Nobody cares about dead people. Well, not unless they're super important like those stupid mummies. That's how you get forced to inhabit a slave and sold to fight in the Colosseum! Tears fill my eyes. I find that I don't really care about the bodies. This is the third time Tick has saved my life. First by getting me through Superbia's arena, then by advocating for my rescue from Gula's kitchens, and now by tearing me out from the stomach of the firm's titan-sized garbage disposal. Maybe it's a symbiotic bond we shared subconsciously drawing her back to me. But when it comes down to it, she doesn't owe me anything. I think she might really think of me as a friend. It's wild how quickly I've grown to care about a happy, psychotic parasite that once scared the bejesus out of me. I sniff and wipe my face with my partly dissolved sleeve. How'd you know where to find me? People started getting mad after I got too big. She says. I don't think they liked that I was stepping all over their homes. I try to walk around them, but it's hard to keep track of the little things when you're this huge. So I stretched and snaked my way into the portal everyone went into. I thought I was supposed to show up at the table, but found this big Dumbo eating a pile of garbage instead. I couldn't believe I found a world where there are others as big as I am. Like, what are the odds, right? Anyway, I go to introduce myself and that's when I hear music. But it was inside its stomach. I was like, no way! I wanted to know how it worked, so I flipped them over and peeked inside. And that's when I found you! I nod, having seen enough to believe even her wildest claims. Checks out, I say. Thanks for saving me. Again, I don't know what I'd do without you. Die, obviously. Do you know what happened to the others? I ran into Elvis, but he didn't make it. Ouch! I haven't seen anybody anywhere. Just a bunch of big garbage goblin Dumbo stuff in their faces. But I did find you, and you found Elvis, even though he's dead now. At this rate, the whole gang will be back together again. I'm pretty sure I got at least two of them inside me somewhere. Jesus Christ, I say, pinching the bridge of my nose and shaking my head. No, I don't think he's one of them. But the dog is. Alright, now that I've just gained several years worth of extra therapy, let's figure out how the hell we're gonna get out of here, eh? Sorry, Jack. I don't want to go. Huh? What are you talking about? I want to stay here with my people, the garbage gobblers, where I can feel comfortable in my own skin. A place fat, phobic pieces of shit don't exist. Tick, you don't have to stay here. Just leave this body and jump inside something else. Start over. I'm sorry, Jack, but if you can't accept me at my biggest, then you don't deserve me at my smallest. I think it would be best for both of us if we part ways. We both knew this relationship was never meant to last. Tick, what the fuck are you going on about? The tentacle lifts me higher into the air until I come level with a floating portal. The gondola opens up to let me leave. I like you, Jack. Tick says warmly. I can tell she means it. Thanks for being my friend. Before you, everyone I ever inhabited didn't like me. I guess that's why I never killed you. So this is really goodbye, I ask, surprisingly not wanting it to be true. 
She smiles sadly. I'm a garbage gobbler now. It's who I'm called to be. I nod, not trusting myself to speak just yet. When the lump in my throat recedes, I ask, where does this portal go? I don't know. There are a lot of them. My guess is they all lead back to the Dominion somewhere. Okay, I say, taking a deep breath. Take care, Tick. I'm gonna miss you. She smiles. I'll miss you too. Then, preparing myself for whatever fresh horror I'm about to face, I step through the portal. Twenty-one. This time, instead of falling from the sky, I step onto solid ground. Unfortunately, the sight is not an encouraging one. Thousands of protesters made it through the elevator to the table as intended. They really gave the place hell. The gateway leads down a long main street lined with high-end towers and architecture. All of it now defaced, burning, or destroyed. The street is littered with the corpses of all the people in Kaiju who aimed to bring the place down. And what's gotta be the firm's entire army is mixed among them. Firm droids, mechs, cyborgs, and soldiers who look like Bromdeer. It was a brutal battle, leaving no survivors. Far down the end of the road, the tallest tower on the floor glows with sinister orange light beneath clouds of toxic smoke. That's gotta be the firm's headquarters. I wonder if anyone managed to get inside. The outside looks like it took a few hits, but it's not nearly as damaged as the other buildings. If anyone made it out with their lives, that's where they'd be. But, uh, do I really want to go up to it alone? What if the firm won? I'll have escaped the monster's belly just to walk into a fatal ass-kicking. Couldn't I just walk away from all of this? Right now? Try to find an alien willing to fly me home? What's left for me to do here? Still, Jesus and Tom could be in there. Or they could have seen that hope was lost and abandoned the mission altogether. Anything could have happened. But do I want to risk knowing? Unfortunately, sometimes the decision gets made for you. The ground trembles beneath the approach of heavy footsteps. Pools of blood ripple like that scene from Jurassic Park when the T-Rex makes its way on screen. I feel suddenly exposed standing in the middle of the street. I rush and crouch behind a big robot that's been partially blown up. I peek around the side oh, and see a huge metal shark, red eyes flashing. Stalking its way up the street in the distance. Fuck! Ira roars from within Mecha Shark. I know you're out there! See you come in! Fuck, fuck, fuck! Your pathetic rebellion will be crushed! She continues. There's no force in the universe able to overcome the might of the firm. I'd say they came pretty close, I think, but I don't dare reveal my position. I could really use Tick's help right about now. She lifts a piece of broken steel wall and hurls it in my direction. I cover my arms over my head and brace myself. To my relief, it misses my location and slams into the debris behind me. 
That was way too close for comfort. I need to move. But what do I do? Where do I go? The second I show myself, she's gonna blast me to hell! Wait, what's this? Oh my god, yes! More and more wreckage soars past me as she grows ever closer. But now, I got an idea. I wait until she's in range, and hope I don't get crushed in the meantime. Come out and pay for your transgressions! Ira shouts, throwing a burning vehicle. You can't run from me! The truck explodes directly behind me, the blast slamming me against the ruined robot. My vision swims, but I have to stay focused. I've only got one chance. I won't be afforded another shot at this. Face me! She roars. She kicks through a giant corpse. Face me, coward! Almost there. I'm going to bite your fucking head off! I jump out from my position. She stops in place and looks down at me. Chew on this, I say. I turbo kick the ruined robot's arm, which, to my unbelievable good fortune, is cocked and loaded with a missile big enough to erase a skyscraper. The missile launches at Mecha Shark, and she takes a direct hit in the chest. I jump back into cover. Heat washes over me as the blast rocks the entire street, toppling over more buildings and obliterating everything in its vicinity. When everything settles, I lean out from cover and look. Mecha Shark still stands, damaged, but still functional. My heart sinks. I'm fucked. She takes seven huge steps to reach me. I'm positive I'm about to become a smudge in her enormous footprint. I consider running, but what's the point? Every one of her steps are twenty of mine. She's right. There is no escaping. To my surprise, instead of raising a huge foot to crush me, her metallic torso cracks open and slides away to reveal the shark bitch inside. She leaps down from the mech, landing heavily in front of me. Her black armor glints in the sinister glow of the burning wreckage, and she glares down at me with her single remaining eye with contempt. You've been a constant thorn in our side, Ira says darkly. Your death must be long and painful. With a front kick to my chest, she topples me over to the ground, then slams a heavy foot over my left wrist. Uh, it cracks and breaks with a loud snap. I scream. She pulls me up by my collar and drives a gauntleted fist into my stomach, knocking the wind out of me. I see stars. Finally, taking my head into her meaty hand, she drives it into the ground. I wake up a short while later, realizing I must have been knocked out cold. Ira has me by the back of my collar and is dragging me down the street. My vision swims, head pounding like a train run over it. I definitely have a concussion. It's a wonder I'm still alive at all. It's hard to think clearly through the brain fog caused by my head injury. My thoughts feel slow labored, like I'm trying to think my way through steak tartare. I black in and out 
until we step through an opening where massive doors have been broken into. She's taken me to the headquarters, I guess. I'm dragged through the blood and guts of more corpses and firm droids filling the hallways. So they made it inside after all, even without Hitler's help. It's a shame it all fell apart in the end. With Hitler out of the picture, maybe they could have turned the Union into a force of good had they won. Now, we'll never know. We move through dark hallways past walls full of ancient relics, weapons, and art. It's an exhibit meant to display status and power, to show whoever walks these halls that the firm's immense wealth knows no bounds. It's a domain fit for a dark, covetous god. Soon, we stand before towering, intricate obsidian doors. It's untouched and without blemish. Seems like the rebellion died off before they were able to reach it. An advanced lock pad scans Ira's facial features. A large internal lock disengages with a loud click, and the doors swing open for us. She drags me a few feet inside, lifts me up, and tosses me forward. Ugh, I land on my stomach with a thud, smacking an elbow against a hard black polished floor. Ira leaves me where I am, walks past, and takes a position behind someone in a business suit sitting in a high back chair. His black, dragon features cast a terrible shadow in the light. Avarice. We face each other in the middle of a dark modern day throne room. Behind them is a long black conference table surrounded by chairs. It's a blend of sharp business fashion and medieval style furniture with the throne as the head seat. But what's most notable is the big chain glass sphere hanging from the ceiling. An intense darkness swirls within, violent, hungry. There's something magnetic about it that's hard to describe. Somehow, they manage to capture and hold its immense power inside. To the left and right of them, two women one bearing green dragon features and the other red, are impaled on spikes in the ground. It enters through their groins and passes out of their chests, spilling dark pools of blood on the floor beneath them. Their dragon-like heads hang limply to the side, dead eyes glossed over. Holy fuck! It's Nvidia and Luxuria! He straight up killed two firm members! His own sisters. This guy doesn't give a fuck. I attempt to stand, but my body isn't up for it. I fall back to my knees, hands shaking, stomach queasy. I see you do not approve, Avarice says, noting my horrified expression at the brutal display. Tell me, what would you have done had your own family conspired against you? They tried to take everything. All that I have worked to build... He leans in towards me, a low growl reaching my ears. It belongs to me. He straightens in his seat, regal, like a king. Sure, man, I say, weakly. The act of speaking makes my head swim. Whatever you say, I just want to go home. I wasn't here for you anyway. Oh? The Union, <coughs> I say, and throw up, emptying my guts on the floor. 
Oh, this concussion must be bad. Fatal, maybe. We were after their leader to stop this whole damn thing. We got him, by the way, so you're welcome for that. I accept checks, cash, and money orders. Ira bars her teeth, stomps over, and backhands me across the face hard enough to show me stars. I'm sent into another headspin and try to hold in my guts. Do you think this is a joke? Uh, I mean, I'll take Bitcoin if it's all you got, I say. Another backhand. I wake up lying sideways with my cheek in a thin puddle of blood and puke. How long was I out? Am I dying? I make out two armored feet in my line of sight. Ira, she's still there. Maybe I wasn't out for long. Just enough time to vomit. That will do. I hear Avarice say. Ira's feet retreat from view. I roll over onto my side so I can face them, wincing. I might even have passed out again there for a second. It's hard to tell. Avarice rises from his seat and walks around me in slow circles. This superior, he says contemptuously. He's been disposed of. How? Literally melted his mind with a sick tune, I say. Ira's fists clench, and she takes a step forward before Avarice lifts a hand to stop her. I can't help myself. I know I'm not doing myself any favors by speaking this way, but I just don't care anymore. I'm ready for this to end. So fuck him. And this whole goddamn place. Before they died, Avarice says, My sisters revealed much about the Frogsies. Most notably their role in manufacturing a lie about a virus that convinced us act on it. Normally it is of little concern whether people live or die. More always come to replace the ones who perish, like flies to honey. Is it really that hard just to care about people? I ask. None of this works without them. You don't have to give away all your wealth. Just invest in the people who invest in you. Build a hospital, for fuck's sakes. I know I could really use one right about now. Privilege belongs to those who earn it. I guess privilege means something different for each of us, then. Because everyone has a right to live. Not be sold off to the highest bidder and served on a platter. Just now, something up in the ceiling catches my eye. I try not to stare and be obvious about it. Whatever else Avarice is saying doesn't register, because all my attention now lies on the orange cat crawling along a chain heading for the hanging glass sphere. Like a four-legged tightrope walker with a pack strapped to her back, Lemon gracefully moves toward the swirling black mass above. She never looks down or away, her attention focused solely on reaching the orb. I can hardly believe it. I assumed everyone died in the battle or was eaten by a monster. But what is she up to? Avarice continues circling around me, talking up some bullshit about the price of power or something. I don't know, but he suddenly notices my attention being diverted elsewhere. Shit! 
Before he looks up, I force his attention back on me by doing my best screaming goat impression. I finish with a coughing fit. Why I chose that sound is a mystery, but Avers jerks his head at my sudden outburst and looks at me with confusion. Ira quickly moves to his side, kicking me in the stomach for good measure. He bends me in half. The pain is excruciating, but at least my diversion worked, allowing for Lemon to reach the sphere undetected. Let's be done with him, Ira says. He can join the traitor's fates and be erected as an example as to what happens to those who cross us. Okay, so maybe the idea of being impaled through my ass starts to make me care about what happens to me after all. I'm positive it feels as painful as it looks, judging by the faces of the previously penetrated. Or, like, you could let me go with a warning, I say. Is that a thing around here? Ira reaches down and lifts me by my throat, choking me and slowly building pressure until it feels like my eyes are gonna pop out. Hey, motherfuckers! Lemon shouts from above. We all look up in unison at the orange cat holding a sophisticated explosive in her paw. She glares down and hisses. For Gooseberry! She slams the explosive into a chain link connecting the sphere to the walls, shattering whatever mechanism that kept the glass sealed and obliterating herself in the process. No! Everest yells when my body suddenly begins to unnaturally stretch toward it. That's the moment I realize what was being contained inside the orb. A goddamn black hole! How they managed to capture an honest-to-god black hole is a feat beyond engineering I'll never comprehend. Black holes are known to consume everything in its wake. Not even light can escape its gravitational pull. It's all-consuming in every sense of the word. It eats entire galaxies for breakfast. What material they use to hold it at bay must be made from the stuff of gods. But with their incalculable wealth, if anyone could find a way to make it happen, it would be the firm. What bigger conversation starter is there? How do you top something that insane? What purpose would there even be for having one other than to show off? None of us have time to react. It happens so fast and so violently that we can do little else but scream as our bodies first stretch into long spaghetti noodles and then get sucked into the black hole with the room itself. Inexplicably, I stay conscious throughout the ordeal, somehow able to sense what's happening around me despite being formless. I fall in and out of time, living brand new lives that last entire lifetimes within the span of seconds. I am love, loss, joy, pain. I am everything and everyone I have ever known and ever will know, a thousand times over and then a thousand times more. I become more than I am, touching the secret corners of the multiverse, until I no longer know myself. What am I? I am mother's milk. The destructive force of a neutron star. An ever-flowing river of thought. Where am I? Who am I? I'm a kid mining cobalt. A cog in a machine. I become the birth and death of creation. The Big Bang and the long, cold night. The chicken and the egg. Over and over and over again until 
It feels like infinite eternities flash by in the blink of an eye, and I'm standing on a shore staring out to sea. Tall, jagged peaks of black stone reach for the cloudy, dark sky all around me. Thunder booms, and the inside of the clouds flash with bursts of lightning. Several distant bolts strike the choppy sea. I'm momentarily dazed, trying to put together the pieces that make me who I am. I'm trying to find my way home. I met Jesus and defeated Hitler in a heavy metal showdown. I'm Jack. The harder I try to remember, the faster the details fade. Until the last thing I remember is... Lemon avenging her dead goose via suicide bombing. The black hole. I quickly turn in place, remembering that Avarice and Ira also came through. I wince in pain, forgetting I'd just gotten the shit kicked out of me. They're nowhere in sight. Nothing from the Dominion seems to have crossed into this place with me. I'm alone on a stormy shore in the middle of nowhere land. Then... Off in the distance, a giant shark breaches the waves, momentum launching it up into the air. The monster roars, lightning reflecting off its black scales and spikes. Crimson flames burst from its mouth in a storm of explosive fire. It crashes back into the water, sending tsunamis rolling to either side. Jaws has got nothing on this, which... If I had to guess, is somehow both Ira and Avarice blended together to form an eldritch monstrosity. Seems like they didn't come out of the black hole the same way they went in. I checked myself for extra fingers and toes, just in case. The fuck? Is that a third testicle? Looks like I came through with a spare tire after all. The monster comes for me. It swims for shore, teeth chomping, fire rolling, and I realize... There's nowhere to run. I'm stranded. A cold, familiar voice cuts through the air. A coward, just like your father. My mother suddenly appears standing next to me, eyes on the beast. Mom? I ask, not understanding how and why she's here. She never looks at me. He couldn't hack it either, she says took off and left me to pick up the pieces. Left me with the two of you. It starts raining. Thunder rolls through the stormy gray sky. The venom infused in her last sentence strikes me like a slap. But it comes as no surprise. I always suspected that's how she really felt about us. The children she sacrificed her dreams for. Hearing it spoken into existence still hurts. I don't know how to respond. Noting my silence, she turns and looks at me for the first time since appearing here. I see shame and disgust in her eyes. You were both always so weak, she says. Stop it! I turn toward a new voice behind me. It's Sarah. She's wearing a black eye, but still manages to be the one looking sorry for me. I turn back to my mother. She's gone. I spin in a circle, 
finding her nowhere in sight. The beast roars, growing ever closer. We choose our own paths, Sarah says, reaching and holding my hand. For a second, I see Jesse standing and maliciously grinning at me in the distance. He disappears when I blink. Sarah, I say, voice catching in my throat. I don't hold back. I just let myself cry. I'm so fucking sorry. I should have been stronger for you. You can't change what's past, Jack. You can't help the choices people make except your own. Is it too late to change things? She smiles at me sadly and lets go of my hand, disappearing in a flash of lightning. Thunder booms, but it's overpowered by the furious roar of the approaching beast that's almost upon me now. I face the monstrosity, and I can't believe what I'm seeing. My dad looks down at me from atop the head of the giant beast, missing the left side of his head, where the bullet took off half of his face. Dad, I say, struggling to understand what's happening. My mind's transported back to a memory of when I was a kid. School's out, and I'm the first one home. As always, I run up to my parents' room to watch the day's episode of Fraggle Rock on their TV. When I open the door, their wall is splattered in red and bits of white. Then I notice my dad lying in the blood-soaked bed. This can't be happening. The beast is moments away. My dad rides it like a harbinger of death, holding the cavernous jaws open with an unnaturally long harness. At this range, it feels like standing in front of the moon, peering into a dark, bottomless abyss. And my dad is letting it happen. From deep inside, I bear witness to the fiery inferno that awaits me. Back into the belly of the beast, I return. I plunge into a lake of fire. My body chars and blackens, and I thrash around covered in all-consuming flames. I sink for an eternity, writhing and drowning in flowing magma, gasping for breath only for the fire to fill my lungs and burn me from the inside out. I wail, my eyes melting and reforming, then melting again, repeating the process over and over. It feels like falling through an everlasting star, caught in an infinite process of burning to death. At times, it feels like I can see people's faces in here with me. Phantom arms glide across me in painful licks, as if the very flames belongs to the souls of the damned. I suspect the unending, deafening roar belongs to their wailing cries. I fall and I burn until I know nothing else. And then, in a blink of an eye, I'm standing in my bedroom. It's over. Just like that. I stand at my doorway looking in, dressed in blue jeans and a white t-shirt. My hands tremble at my side. And after a long moment, Tears fill my eyes. I'm afraid to move. 
the memory of the eternal fire still fresh in my mind, terrified that this painless moment will end. I don't know what happened, but I never want to go back there. Eventually, a voice from inside the room breaks the silence. Welcome back, Jack. Mendak steps out from around the corner. My blood freezes. How can he be here? What is this? I whisper. His smile is genuine and warm, like he's greeting an old friend. It's been a while. Tell me what's going on, I say. His smile saddens. He looks at me with pity, the same way someone looks at an injured animal. He extends a hand towards me. Please, come sit. I'll explain everything. Fuck you! I spit, surprising myself. Just go away and leave me the fuck alone! I'm sorry, Jack. He says, regretfully. But I can't do that. Why is that? I ask. My heart is pounding. I don't want to show fear, but I'm utterly terrified. I can't go back there. I won't let him take me. In response, he simply takes a step back, and we look at each other in silence. Then, he changes. Mendax's green, frog-like skin turns into a deep shade of red. His bulbous eyes shrink, horns grow from his head, and once the transformation is complete, I finally take one step back, because I am now in the presence of the devil. Is this some kind of joke? I ask. Another one of your alter egos used to fuck with people? Please. He says, waving a hand at the bed. Are you going to rape me? He snaps his fingers, and I'm suddenly grabbed by an invisible force and pulled away from the door and sat on the edge of the bed. I regain control of myself once I'm sitting, but I'm so scared, I dare not move. Because that sure as shit ain't Mendax. Which means, you're really the devil, I ask in a hushed tone. I am. He says, taking a seat next to me. Am I... is this... I'm afraid so, he says mournfully. I leap to my feet and back myself against a wall, taking hold of my head in my hands. No, 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 I say, feeling hysteric. How could this happen? Is this because of the black hole? Am I still passing through in and out of time? There never truly was a black hole, the devil says. My eyes widen, and my stomach twists as I come to a sudden realization. This is a simulation, I say, becoming manic. I'm still in that goddamn black helmet! Now that this is real, I fucking knew it! It turns out there is more to reality than you imagined. But it is very much real. For the both of us. But there's still a way to remove the helmet and get out of here, right? I can still beat this! The devil stands, towering over me. He stretches out his hand face up, and a black helmet materializes in his palm. This was never real, he says, showing me the helmet. He makes a fist, and it dissolves to dust. But this is... I blink, and I'm back in the lake of fire. 
I writhe and wail, scorched by supernatural flames. Ghostly hands reach out for me, tearing at me, trying to pull me down. And then, just as fast, I'm back in the room, facing the devil. I fall to my knees and weep. <laughs> Please stop. The devil kneels down next to me, taking me gently into a comforting embrace. You needed the truth. He says. <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> I say, saliva and mucus freely flowing from my face. The devil doesn't seem to mind. Look. He says, and helps me to my feet. On the floor, directly next to my bed, is a dead body with a gun by its side. My dead body. I'm missing one side of my head. My lone, hollow eye stares back at me. No, I say. No, this can't be real. What is this? The reason why you're here. The devil says. But I, I was abducted by aliens. They intervened before I was able to get the shot off. Right? Could I really have killed myself? All a part of your sentence. The devil says. Hell is a theater of the damned. Did you ever stop to wonder why each event you endured took special inspiration from your deepest fears? But I don't understand, I say. I met Jesus. Why would he be in hell? The devil laughs, laughs darkly. <laughs> Who do you think created him? He is the almighty God. The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. By his word, he created the heavens and the earth, and all life that inhabits it. He is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent, seeing all that there is and being everywhere at once. There is no place that is not within his dominion. Even the prison he chooses to fill with his rejects. But why would he be there to rescue and heal me all those times? To give you hope, than to have to take it away. There is no worse feeling than when all hope is lost. You experienced it several times. It's a cruel punishment. He is fond of playing the hero in the Avatar of the Sun, while simultaneously orchestrating the very misery to follow as the father. You'd be surprised how often he indulges. I want to look away, but I can't take my eyes off my corpse. The way my single eye seems to be staring directly into my soul. Accusing. Judging. I feel paralyzed by a wave of emotion crashing through me. Oh God. How could I have done this to Sarah? The devil helps me step over my body and sits me back down on the bed. He moves to the other side of the room and looks out of the window. You mustn't forget, you're here because you rejected his laws, he says. To kill oneself is a sin most grave in the eyes of the Lord. You live the godless life, succumbing to your vices, forsaking the kingdom of heaven. Now, by decree of his will, you must reap your reward in hell. The revelation is almost too much to bear. It's becoming hard to breathe. I feel lightheaded. Can this truly be happening to me? Can this really be hell? 
Did I really leave Sarah to find me like this? Just like that. Why are you being so nice to me? I ask. I thought the devil was supposed to be this big bad guy. Once upon a time, that was true. He says, coming around the bed to face me. Darkness pools around him, casting him in a menacing shadow. After my fall from grace, I lashed out against the Lord's new favorite pets. He touches my forehead with his finger, and suddenly, I'm standing on a hill overlooking a beautiful valley. Exotic trees and flowing rivers sparkle in glorious rays of light. Men, women, children, lions, sheep, bulls, and all manner of life graze and feed on a land overflowing with abundance, each of them living in perfect harmony. How long has it been since I've seen the sun? The devil appears next to me. I was most beautiful among angels, he says. Blessed with the sole privilege of filling heaven's expense with the sound of music. For time immeasurable, I took my place by his side as the most beloved of his creations. But even so, it did not stop him from condemning me to eternal damnation when I rebelled. Why would you give that up? Stories say I wanted more, that I craved the very power of God and dared to take it for myself. I admit, there is truth to this. Yes, I wanted more, but it was not power I craved. It was freedom. The freedom to be more than an automaton created for the sole purpose of worshipping him. He points at the people below. It's why I hated them. Why should they be given the free will to decide whether or not to worship God, when the choice was forbidden to me? I despised humanity's very existence and made it my mission to make them share in my fate. He looks suddenly regretful, and I now stand by a tall, delicate tree with exotic fruit hanging from slender branches. A naked woman accepts a piece of fruit from a yellow snake coiled around its trunk. She eats it. And when she's discovered by a naked man, she shares it with him. The snake speaks. It was wrong of me to trick them into disobeying the Lord simply because I wanted to hurt him. I wanted to force his hand, leaving him no choice but to condemn his most treasured children to the same fate as me. But in the end, I eventually realized that we are both the same. Creations, with a gun to our heads. We are all made with an ultimatum. Serve, or die. The garden fades away, and I'm back to sitting next to the devil on my bed. The blood on the floor has vanished, and my corpse is no longer there. It is one of my greatest regrets. He says, I think about all the people who have ever existed. How many have been condemned to burn in hell for disobeying God's will? How many billions are suffering for being raised in cultures that worship other gods? I remember the faces I saw in the flames, thinking about all the people that life got the best of. And it pisses me off. How is it right that anyone could be sentenced to an eternity of suffering for mistakes they made within a few short decades of life? I ask. Why would a loving God do that? He is a loving God, the devil says but also a jealous one. His wrath is as great as his mercy. He suffers no disobedience. 
It's not fair, I say, scarred by an eternity of flames. And yet, it is his will, he says, rising from my bed and picking up a phone from my desk. He dials a number. What are you doing? I ask. Serving my sentence, he says. A cell phone rings in my jeans pocket. I look up at him, confused, but he simply waits for me to answer the call. I remove the phone from my pocket, swipe the green button, and hold it to my ear. I'm sorry, dear, the devil says, but the voice coming through doesn't belong to him. It sounds like the call is coming from my grandma. What are you doing? I ask. It's time to begin again. The devil with my grandmother's voice says, Time to pay the price of sin. Eternity never sleeps. My blood runs cold. Suddenly, this all seems so familiar. How many times has this happened before? No! I say, eyes going wide. I'm sorry you lost your job, dear. My grandma says, She's always been so kind. Wait, no, that's not my grandma, that's... Life is full of hills and valleys, she says, and I lose my thought. But the Lord never gives you more than you can handle. I know, Grandma, I say. She's always looking out for me. Wasn't there someone standing over there? Where did this gun come from? I'm going to be sending a cheesecake over with Sarah, she says. Always thinking of me. Part of me wishes I could be here to try it. One last time. That sounds great, Grandma. The gun feels heavy in my lap. Please take care of yourself, dear. Times are tough, but we'll get through this together. She says. Okay, I say, phone pressed in my ear. I will. Thank you. I love you, Jack. I love you too, Grandma. Bye now. I end the call. My entire body deflates with a heavy sigh. That was it. Saying goodbye was a lot harder than I imagined it would be. That was the last time I'll ever hear my Grandma's voice. The only person in my life who I ever felt cared for me. I hope she'll forgive me for this. I know what I need to do. Just raise the gun to my head and be done with it. A simple click of the trigger, that's all it takes. It's just... Why does this have to be so hard? Each time I come to this place, I'm faced with what seems an insurmountable wall. The staggering amount of guts it takes to pull this trigger has always been what's forced me to face another day. I'm such a coward. I can't even end my own life. That stops now. I squeeze my eyes shut. Then, without affording myself another thought, I raise the gun to the side of my head. The trigger's cold metal hugs my finger. There's a loud bang. Through the sudden near-deafening ring in my ears, I hear a muffled voice nearby. I open my eyes, vision swimming. It worked. Don't you run, 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 don't you run
Thank you for listening to the full cast audiobook presentation of Dominion. Featuring the voices of Dustin Pete as Elvis Presley, Raquel Hayes as Tick, Holly Harris as Lemon and Clinch, Nick Green as Jesus Christ, Adam Gabriel Beebe as Bromdeer, John Kennard as Disciple Thomas, Shannon Velasco as Doodle and Sarah, James Lawrence as Hitler, Eurasian Rob as Mendax and the Devil, Asher R. Lorkins as Heavy Metal Mutant, Mystic Waters as Belgra, Cassandra Haswell as Ira, Gethin Hughes as Avarice, George Brandlin as Dr. Phineas Gills, and finally me, Nemo, as Jack. A massive thank you to everyone involved in bringing this production to life. Without your voices, Dominion wouldn't have been the same. You helped me create a personal treasure and have my eternal gratitude. And thank you, listener, for sticking it out to the end. I'm sure it was a strange and at times uncomfortable ride. If you like what you heard, please tell your friends. Rate and review wherever you can. Let me know on Twitter, Instagram, or by email what you thought about it. Twitter at Dominion Nemo. Instagram at Alias Nemo, A-L-I-U-S. And email at AuthorNemoMaximus at gmail.com. Until next time.